The illness has inflamed claims about Russian President Putin's movements, which were displayed at an Easter mass in the Russian capital Moscow. Finally, Putin's physical condition, from sitting to breathing, which was recently displayed with Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu, has been the subject of discussion, and the swelling, distraction, and testy facial expressions on the nape and face of the Russian leader have attracted attention. Not so long after these discussions, the 69-year-old Russian leader appeared at the Easter Mass held at the Cathedral of Christ the Savior in Moscow. In the footage from the Mass, Putin was again seen to be nervous and constantly biting his lips. The images have had wide repercussions both on social media and in the world's press. While many newspapers claim that Putin is nervous about his failure in the Ukrainian war, the British newspaper Daily Mail has re-raised the long-discussed Parkinson's disease claim about the Russian leader. Experts who studied the behavior of Putin, who was observed to have dry mouth and was obviously slow-moving, claimed that the Russian leader had similarities to Parkinson's patients. Professor Eric Busey, a body language expert at Texas Tech University, noted that Putin's legs look slim, which may be due to November and weight loss. Parkinson's is a slowly progressive neurodegenerative disease. Symptoms such as decreased facial expressions, slowing down of movements, and trembling of the hands or fingers are usually seen in discomfort where one side of the body is affected. Earlier images of the Russian leader also showed features similar to Parkinson's, but the Kremlin flatly denied the claim. You may have heard of Parkinson's disease before. Maybe when you heard of someone raising money for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, or maybe you've listened to Muhammad Ali speaking about the disease. Well, both of these guys actually have Parkinson's disease, and they've done a really good job at raising money for and awareness of the disease. But what exactly is Parkinson's disease? Parkinson's disease is a progressive, neurodegenerative disease. We call it a progressive disease because it progresses, it worsens over time. And we say that it's a neurodegenerative disease because during the disease, there's actually a loss, a degeneration, of neurons in the brain. Now, in Parkinson's disease, we actually see a loss of a particular kind of neuron, and these neurons are called dopamine neurons. And dopamine neurons make a little signaling chemical called dopamine, which is really important for allowing us to make normal movements. And a lot of these dopamine neurons live in an area of the brain called the substantia nigra. And the substantia nigra we can see here, and it sits here in the brain above the spinal cord in a part of the brain called the midbrain. And when these neurons are lost, there's a reduction in the amount of dopamine in the brain. And again, that's because these neurons, they used to make a lot of our dopamine, and now they're not here anymore. And this is the really important part, because when there's this reduction in dopamine, that's when we start to see the main movement signs of Parkinson's disease. So let's talk about these signs. One of these signs is shakiness, which can often be in the form of a tremor, maybe in the hand or the finger. A second sign is stiffness, and that stiffness is felt when the person bends part of their body, maybe the arm or the leg or the wrist. So when they're bending that body part, let's say it's the arm, 
the movement just isn't very smooth. It doesn't feel very fluid anymore. And instead, it actually feels really rigid. A third sign is slowed down movements. And this happens because it actually takes the person longer to complete a movement. A good way to think about this is to imagine the last time you were in water. Maybe you went to the pool or you went to the beach to go swim in the ocean. So you can probably remember trying to do a somersault underwater or maybe running away from your friends. And if you think back, you can remember that it actually took you a lot longer to do these things in water than it would have if you were on land. Well, that's kind of what it's like for someone with these slow down movements. They can do them, it just takes a lot longer for them to do them. And the fourth main sign is problems with balance. Feeling really unsteady or really unstable when standing or walking around. Now, not all patients with Parkinson's disease will have all of these problems, but most will have them at some point during the course of the disease. Now, this last one that we talked about, the problems with balance, that usually crops up later on once the person has had the disease for quite a few years. So it's actually these first three that are normally used to decide whether or not someone has Parkinson's disease. And all these main movement signs together actually form a symptom complex called Parkinsonism or Parkinsonian syndrome. So that means that Parkinson's is actually a disease that causes Parkinsonism. And there are a few other neurodegenerative diseases that can cause Parkinsonism, this symptom complex that we're talking about, but Parkinson's disease is the most common. So because of this, we often call Parkinsonism caused by Parkinson's disease, primary Parkinsonism, and then we often call Parkinsonism caused by other neurodegenerative diseases, secondary Parkinsonism. Now, Parkinson's disease doesn't just cause Parkinsonism. Remember that this is a disease of the brain. And when things break down in our brain, our master control center, there's often more than one kind of symptom. The people with Parkinson's disease can also experience psychiatric problems, such as depression, cognitive problems, such as memory loss and trouble with concentration, and lots of other non-movement symptoms. This can include problems with their sense of smell and problems with their sleeping patterns. And the causes of Parkinson's disease are actually largely not known. For the majority of cases, we actually don't know what triggered the disease. So we call these cases idiopathic. Idiopathic meaning that the cause is unknown. And while in the vast majority of cases there's no family history of the disease, about 15% of people actually do have a family history. And for these people, their Parkinson's appears to be caused by a mutation in one of a few different genes. And depending on which gene is the culprit, a mutation can either cause Parkinson's disease, or it can increase a person's chance of getting Parkinson's disease. So if someone has a problem with one of the genes that can actually cause the disease, they'll definitely develop it. But if they have a problem with one of the genes that can increase the chance of getting Parkinson's disease, they may or may not develop a disease, but they are more likely to than someone who doesn't have the mutated gene. So genetics are the culprit once in a while, but again, most of the time, we don't know what caused Parkinson's disease. But despite this, there are some risk factors associated with developing the disease. And a risk factor is something that increases your chances of developing a disease. 
So you could say that having a certain gene mutation is a major risk factor for Parkinson's. But there are some other non-genetic risk factors as well. For example, exposure to certain pesticides and some cleaning chemicals. Older age, so once you get to about 60 years old, your risk of developing Parkinson's disease increases and it continues to go up with each passing year. So as well, we have a history of concussions as a risk factor of Parkinson's disease and gender. So for some reason, we're not entirely sure yet, men are a bit more likely than women to develop the disease. And another risk factor is regularly breathing in heavy metal particles like copper or manganese or lead. So maybe if you've lived in an industrial area where those might be found in the air. So again, these are risk factors for Parkinson's disease, which means that they're associated with a higher chance of developing the disease. So the treatment of Parkinson's disease will normally involve medication to help deal with the movement symptoms. And to do that, the way that many of these medications work is by replacing or increasing dopamine levels in the brain. Because remember, our dopamine producing neurons have degenerated during the disease. And for some patients, the medication works great. It may be all that they need to minimize their symptoms. But for most patients, after they've had the disease for several years, their medication just doesn't really cut it anymore. So when this happens, they may have surgery to help deal with their symptoms. And the goal of surgery is to inactivate areas in the brain that are causing their movement problems, like that shakiness or stiffness that we talked about earlier. So this brings us to the long-term outlook for someone with Parkinson's disease. Well, unfortunately, Parkinson's disease is a progressive disease, so the disease will continue to develop over the years after diagnosis is made. While none of our current methods are able to stop the disease, medication and surgery can be really helpful for managing the symptoms and making sure the person with Parkinson's disease has a high quality of life for as long as possible. I just want to mention a common misconception that can crop up when we hear about Parkinson's disease, which is that Parkinson's disease only occurs in older people. So while it is true that the average age of diagnosis is around 60 to 65, about 5 to 10% of patients are diagnosed before the age of 50. So this is often referred to as young or early onset Parkinson's disease. For patients with young Parkinson's disease, those gene mutations we talked about earlier seem to be the cause more often than they are for patients diagnosed in that average 60 to 65 year old range. might want to pull up a chair, rest your head a bit. Um, I'm going to be trying to unpack quite a few things that I've been following for a very long time, and some new research came out, and it really pulled together all of my um, thinking as far as these diseases that they appear to be giving themselves, such as Parkinson's. And because Parkinson's happens to be a brain issue, right? 
all of that shakiness and different things that come with Parkinson's, well, that originates in the brain. And since we have world leaders with Parkinson's disease appearing in the, you know, media and whatnot, it's worth taking a look at. So Archie and I pulled together a show for you, and I get to share where I've been going with this thing because, you know, I've been talking as far as, um, you know, that I was doing things with Parkinson's and this and that. So um, now it can all pull together because they released some new data as far as um, uh, they made a connection between Parkinson's and a female gene, which is interesting. So I rest my case that Putin is, in fact, transgendered, and sadly, you know, no one takes any joy out of anybody being seriously ill because Parkinson's, as you will see if you take a look over at the website, just click on show notes at psychopathinyourlife.com. I mean, Parkinson's is not a disease to be taken lightly, okay? Uh, little is known about it. They're just finding out this stuff. I rest my case on they're just making this up as they go along, right? And only as a few years ago, they're, ca they're calling the alarms on all these diseases. So, yeah, they're starting to crop up all over because people like Putin and Michael J. Fox and now Tom Hanks, um, which I'll be talking about in the show, they all are coming down with Parkinson's, and that is, in fact, hormone-related. So now I have even further evidence to back up what I've been talking about all along. So... Anyhow, so, yeah, and another thing about this Parkinson's is, um, it, okay, it comes from the, um, how they're doing hormones, okay, and you also have to look up, up about things you'll hear about Putin, for example, um, he was considered so macho, you know, out riding around on his horse and all that kind of stuff, We'll also take a look at people like Jeff Bezos, you know, when he was first, um, and I'll ask Archie if he can pull up some pictures of that, but look at Jeff Bezos, you know, he was a very slight looking, um, small looking, feminine looking person, right, okay, and uh, then now look at him next to his uh, current girlfriend, and he is definitely beefed up, so one has to argue, is it because Jeff Bezos is really hitting the gym, or because that's testosterone use, right, because they're covering up the female DNA because that, that's what they're doing. He originated as a female in vitro. There was testosterone given, and then that person was born. So in order to keep that game up, they have to take a lifetime of hormones. That's why they're cropping up with these diseases. And they're just doing new studies to figure out, you know, these things are coming out caused by testosterone. I've talked about in the past that I finally figured out the Chen deal, <laughs> since I'm a Chen expert, you know, happened to come from testosterone in the womb. I would argue that they seem a bit out of control in the testosterone department. But here again, thinky, thinky for yourself. I'm just sharing with you, um, you know, we pulled together a show to share with you what we know so far because it is alarming you know, not like, oh, run for the hills type of alarming, like, get out of the room right now. <laughs> but um, there is a prevalence of Parkinson's and these diseases among the people who I would say are the top elites, right? And we also don't want to broad brush things because people in the general population are likely also getting um, Parkinson's disease. But 
I have information in today's show that shows the studies that the most interesting part is the Ashkenazi Jews and the prevalence of Parkinson's in that group, right? So that opens up a whole bunch of questions, too. You know, Putin has Parkinson's, allegedly. Allegedly, that's all the news, right? So, you know, anyhow, uh, there's a trail here, okay? So I think that I will forego going on and on here. I would suggest that you hold on to your hats, kids. We're on for a bumpy ride here. But my conclusions will be at the end. I kind of think that um, it seems a little bit something we should be paying attention to in pretty of a um, serious way because um, if people at the top are coming down with um, diseases like Parkinson's, okay, that is affecting uh, Putin right now, right? Well, let's keep in mind, and I have all of the graphs you want to look at. I've narrowed them down to how Parkinson's affects the body, okay? But remember, Parkinson's starts in the brain, okay? And it literally impacts the entire body. It's more than just having shakes and things like that. It is a pretty brutal disease. So, and remember, the reason we want to focus on that right now is because it starts with a disorder in the brain. So if we're looking at people in charge who are now coming down with the disorders of the brain, well, I don't know. It just seems like it's worth discussing. So anyway, so, um, you know, I hate to say enjoy the show. Like, well, I don't know. Um, but anyway, here we go. Buckle up, kids. We're on for a ride. Okay, let's take a look at the mysterious Vladimir Putin. First, and this is going this segment will be in relationship to the Parkinson's disease. First, let me tell you about Tom Hanks, who now is appearing to look like he has Parkinson's disease. Um, let me see here. Um, the quote was, and I have pictures over at the website because it's nice to capture these things as Tom Hanks was on the stage with his um, microphone, grappling for his microphone. And it said, as his hand shook, Hanks tried to control it by placing his left hand at the bottom of the microphone below his right. He also attempted briefly to switch hands. So how do I think these people got their uh, Parkinson's, well, hormone use, um, that will be another segment in here somewhere. So um, let's talk a little bit about Vladimir Vlad, Vladimokrichus Putin. Putin. <laughs> you know, names are not my forte. Um, anyway, so Vlad, we'll call him, as in, is this like as in Vlad the Impaler? You know, what was that? Vlad the Impaler was actually Dracula or something like that. So anyhow. He probably traded to some kind of royalty, but anyway, basically what they say is Vlad was born 7 October 1952. That makes Vlad and I apart by one year. I was born in 1951, so simple math, he's 70 years old. He is a Russian politician and former intelligence officer 
who is the president of Russia, a position he has filled since 2012 and previously from 2000 until 2008. He was also the prime minister from 1999 to 2000 and again from 2008 to 2012. That has been very busy. Putin also worked as a KGB foreign intelligence officer for 16 years, rising to the rank of lieutenant colonel before resigning in 1991. This little timeline is, I guess, going backwards, so, so yeah, they had quite a, quite a history here, right? Okay, so let me back up here. Putin worked as a KGB foreign intelligence officer for 16 years, and he rose to all those ranks, resigned in 1991, and then, then he filled these different positions of politician and president of Russia and that kind of stuff. So it starts with the KGB. Um, he briefly served as director of the federal FSB and secretary of the Security Council before being appointed as prime minister in 1999 after the resignation of Yeltsin. We probably should have heard of Boris Yeltsin, right, kids? Anyway, so... All this stuff is very readily available. Just type in Putin. <laughs> uh, because I'm getting to my main point here. Because I believe that based on his level in genealogy, he is likely what I would consider part of the black nobility group. And I'll be getting back to explaining. That's a group you want to be in if you want to make sure you're really on Satan's side. But even that group is going to be a little bit touchy. So anyways, let me get back here. So um, I don't know why this little Wikipedia piece was so convoluted. So that's the bottom line. Um, let me give you his backstory, which I always love. <laughs> he is the son of Maria Ivanova, a factory worker, and Vladimir Spitakov Putin, a conscript of the Soviet Navy, who also served in the NKVD, which I don't know what that means, but probably Nikita Khrushchev something, but they came from the Kalaminsky area of the Tiger region. He has two children with his former wife, Linda Putina. <laughs> the women, um, just because I'm an American, I don't wasn't exposed to these things, but like Zelensky, he's Zelensky, and she's Zelenska. So Putin's wife is, her last name is Putina, P-U-T-I-N-A, okay? President Putin's older brothers, Viktor and Albert had died before his birth. Well, that's what happened with hormone testing. Victor, and please, I don't mean to sound cold about that, but this is what's going on here is I believe that um, Putin's generation, you know, anybody in my age group, you know, the parents, th this is a complete uh, flipping of the uh, children within the uh, black nobility of this group, okay? I've identified that pretty much all the children that are at the higher level, black nobility level, which I've yet to get back to talking about, um, are um, part of this group, okay? All of those children I have found have been transgender, okay? So, yeah, so um, so brothers, uh, two, two children died before his birth. Yeah, real high possibility, right? Because this stuff is just being made up as it goes along. So, anyways, Victor died of diphtheria, during the siege of Leningrad in World War II, and Albert in infancy. 
his maternal grandmother was killed by the Nazis in 1941. His maternal uncle disappeared on the Eastern Front during the war. I don't know if any of that is true, right? But but he, he likely came from um, the the elite, the aristocracy, I'm trying to say. I need to get these words straight. So he would be black, black nobility, which would be the highest level aristocrats, okay? Um, and I, I ran across some names here that um, of his family that somebody had dug up because there's a lot of mystery surrounding his background and stuff for obvious reasons. You know, they need a good backstory. Um, if anybody is inclined to understand genealogy, I'll post them over at the website. Anyways, because there's there's so much speculation, right? And somebody could clearly clear this up if they had basic <laughs> genealogy understandings. So <laughs> I can guarantee you that. That person's not going to be me, but I can gar I'll guarantee you right now that you're going to find that he comes from some sort of uh, high-level aristocrats. All you have to do is look at the map I have over at the website and see uh, exactly where is the Jewish population residing. Oh, gee, seems like a lot of them happen to be around that Russian or Ukraine area. Okay, so uh, some researchers speculate that Putin's ancestry might be linked to the Putinian clan. That's P-U-T-Y-A-N-I-N clan, one of the oldest clans in Russian history with links to the royal families of Europe. So, yes, if you took those names, that would be a very good starting point if you know this stuff. And if you know it, please do share, because I would be as more interested than probably anybody in the world, but no time to sit down and try to learn genealogy, because I don't have the basic genealogy hunting skills. Somebody else would hopefully have. So, so um, Putin, oh, Putin, yeah, he's, he's a rough guy. He has a, a judo, karate, um, martial arts. Of course, um, at the age of 14, he was a champion, um, and he did his training with judo, reaching his black belt. Very impressive, right? Well, the only thing about his ancestry is that his partlineal ancestry can be traced to Nikita Putin, N-I-K-I-T-A Putin, who was born 1610 to 1629. He had a long life there. But anyway, all these names and stuff will be in a little section called Genealogy of Putin. You can Take, take a like and see what's there. So anyway, so um, now I'd like to talk a little bit about some comments that Putin has made in regard to the Jews, right? Because everybody always has to have whatever view. Well, my vote is he's a Jew, right? Look at look at the maps over at the website, okay? This, this is like genius level thinking here, right? I mean, Zelensky's Jewish, okay, so just do the math, kids. So anyway, so let me give you some quotes here that led me to this belief, okay? <laughs> okay, in an interview with NBC, Megyn Kelly, that was broadcast over the weekend, and I, oh, it was in 2016, okay? Putin praised the possibility that Jews were the ones responsible for meddling in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. You know, the whole scam about did Putin meddle in the elections here and it was all cooked up by Hillary Clinton and confirmed by the FBI. Yeah, anyway, so not not the subject right now. <laughs> we're, we're working in active crime scene. I have to stay focused here. So. Okay, so this is the interesting quote. 
after being pressed by Kelly to comment on claims of Russian interference in the elections, Putin replied, Maybe they're not even Russians. Maybe they're Ukrainians, Tartars, Jews, just with Russian citizenship. Even that needs to be checked. Well, it brings up an interesting point, right? Here we got the names for Ukrainians, we got Jews in here, and the Tartars. <laughs> so yeah, that, that seems like a uh, pretty good, pretty good clue there, right? So of his views. So um, there was another one here. Uh, Putin must have known that a Russian president insinuating Jews was behind. Oh, this was. Um, I think I got this from the. Um, Jerusalem Post, which is out of Israel. Um, Putin, this is from them. Putin must have known that a Russian president insinuating Jews were behind a plot to meddle in the U.S. elections would smack up anti-Semitism. After all, the protocols of the learned elders of Zion was a fabrication of the Tsarist secret police. Well, I don't know about all this lone, you know, protocols of learned elders of Zion, but I do know for a fact they call themselves Zionists over over in Israel, and you know, just hang around to the end because I have some ideas what I think about happened over there in Israel and who really kicked who off that land, so and who needs to be kicked off that land. So anyway, so um, they're they're saying that Putin should really, you know, get it together for insinuating that Jews were behind this. I guess we, we're not worried about the other things I just mentioned um, that he said were behind it. The Tartars and the, um, he said the Ukrainians, Tartars, and the Jews, but we're focusing on the Jews here, right? Then, and this was from the Jerusalem Post, okay? So this is their total view, right? And, um, I'll read from there. Anti-Jewish paranoia resonates within, deep, deeply within Russian society. In the pre-Soviet era, it was based on medieval Christian, particularly Russian Orthodox, so originally Christian, okay, notions about purported Jewish promiscuousness and empower, notions about purported, well, by the late 1940s, after the creation of the State of Israel and the early 1950s, remember, after the creation, okay, would you read here there, kids? That means 1940s, they were creating, creating the State of Israel. That would be the Zionists, right? That was the people who came over from um, World War II that were lured, I believe they were lured over there, right? Um, different subject, different time, but just pay attention to that time, okay? It, the state of Israel was created in 1940, so you won't take any of my other comments out of context. <laughs> so, when I say who I think should be, likely should be there, and who was kicked off of that, right? Okay. So, um, in the early 1950s, with the onset of the Cold War, the Jews began to be seen by the Soviet leadership as an ethnic dysphoria potentially boiled to a hostile foreign state. So the Jews were, in the 50s, tagged as being um, sketchy, right? Their disproportionately high representation in the upper echelon of literally every sphere of Soviet culture, scientific and industrial life began to be seen as a threat. I read that as saying Jews were in very high positions early on, they say right here in the 50s, right? 
supposedly, I, I, that's my word, supposedly, okay, I'll just keep reading. Um, Stalin's purges, which resulted in the assassination or imprisonment of thousands of Jews, were often openly anti-Jewish. Well, purging could happen in two directions, right? But here we have some more dates. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russian nationalist accounts of history seek to delegitimize Bolshevism by equating it with Jewishness and portraying it as an alien assault on the Russian people and culture. Now let's see what that really says. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russian nationalists. Oh, this is just what, what they're saying is these people's account of history. Well, glad they're admitting that, right? So, um, but this is the um, this is the interesting part here. This Alexander, I, I can't say these names, so you know these things are really easy to find out. I'll just give you the first name. Um, Alexander famously urged Jews to accept moral responsibility for those of their kinsmen who took part in the Iron Bolshevik leadership, and even more so in the ideological guidance of a huge country down a false path. So, you know, what, what happens is, it seems to happen in all these histories of the Jews, is that there's always a lot of conflict, okay, surrounding what they're up to, right? So, um, that basically was what led up to what they call um, here anti-Jewish paranoia. Well, maybe it wasn't paranoia. Maybe it was reality, right? So <laughs> it does seem to follow a pretty distinct pattern here, if you ask me. So anyhow, so um, because they're going on about why Putin would say something about the Jews, um, in modern European history, Vladimir Putin is the first classically reactionary and even revenge, revengeist leader who is not, or at least not yet, an anti-Semite. So, I guess Putin has not won the title of being a straight-out anti-Semite. So, this whole deal of this article is to uh, cite the reasons why he probably should consider um, supporting the Jewish side of things, I guess. But, anyway, a lot of, a lot of denial that the guy is Jewish, right? Okay, um... Yeah, and there's the whole thing. If you want to look it up, look up the, uh, they have Wikipedia pages for all of this stuff. I recommend capturing what you want to read later because it does change rather quickly at times. So there's a whole thing with Putin and all that kind of stuff. And um, let me scroll down to see what was interesting here. Um, well, Putin's claim to fame is that he brought peace and progress to Russia when he ended the crisis of the 1990s. And remember, what was happening around the 1990s? Well, the Internet was becoming available all over the place, right? So he, he came in right at that juncture, and he restored the territorial integrity. Okay. Interesting aside, you know, with all this thing about these hormones making them um, bald, uh, well, testosterone does that. They all go bald. Go look at my show about how they're all wearing wigs, but... It's over at the website. But anyway, so um, there was this very, this is just kind of an aside thing that I ran across where somebody told me about. There was this popular tonic to grow hair. Um, I don't know for how long, but it was a very popular tonic to grow hair for men. And it was supposedly from bears from Russia. <laughs> These people will do anything to sell anything, right? They create people going bald, both their own kind and, and men that they 
you know, slip testosterone into unknowingly. And then they always come in with a cure, right? So, um, oh, here is a quote I wanted to share with you that um, George Bush made. <laughs> he said, I looked the man in the eye. I found him to be straightforward and trustworthy. He had a very good dialogue. I was able to get a sense of his soul, a man deeply committed to his country and the best interests of his country. And I appreciated so very much the frank dialogue. President George W. Bush regarding President Putin, and this would have been 16 June 2001. Funny how they drift in and out of friendship, isn't it? Okay, let's get to the subject du jour here, the Parkinson's disease, and I'm going to pick that up right on the other side so I don't lose any connections or anything. So I will be back with the main point here, which is how and why I think that Vladimir Putin, no joking matter, nothing is funny about somebody suffering from a disease, whether they're a psychopath or not, because clearly... I 100% do not believe that they have made the connection themselves that they're giving themselves these, these diseases, you know what I mean? So anyway, so I'll be back with about the Parkinson's part of this and how this relates to um, Putin and, you know, the whole chain of things. Because you can look at a map and you can start to see, now that they've gotten all this data out there, that um, where exactly are the populations of people with Parkinson's disease? Well, you can start to see a whole lot of patterns. So... I'll be back on the other side with more about Parkinson's. beginning of the show, we would have played a um, general overview of Parkinson's, so I will only be talking about things that I see as relevant here. Um, so Parkinson's is caused by loss of nerve cells in the substantia nigra, N-I-G-R-A, of the brain. This leads to a reduction in the, a chemical called dopamine in the brain. Many different symptoms are associated with Parkinson's disease, and the more common symptoms are slow, slowness in movement and mus muscle stiffness. Parkinson's disease cannot be cured, but medications can help control symptoms. In some later cases, surgery may be advised. Well, I have a lot of charts and things about Parkinson's at the website. It's very interesting. It invades the entire body. It's not just a matter of some, um, some stiffness, right? I mean, there's implications into the brain, and it, it's a very serious disease to be taken very seriously. So the reason I'm bringing all this up is because there seems to be a lot of this kind of disease within this transgender population, and I would I would read it to mean that well, a high possibility of some unpredictable behavior, right? This thing's floating around their brains. Um, so yeah, but you know I'm not here to diagnose anybody, but I'm here to share where I am with my research. So let's all just thinky thinky about what you think this all means, right? I see it as um, not not that great, right? And I also see it as this. 
and I don't mean this to sound cold, but because I don't believe that his generation, I believe they were done in vitro, okay? So, and I'm only, I'm only guessing here, right? I wasn't in the room, but from what I know of hormones and all of my research, I believe that he would have been born in vitro, okay? So him and his siblings were all born in vitro, and that led to the death of a couple of them, right? And um, I believe now these children are be born in locations, so we wouldn't be as likely to hear about the siblings who might not have made it, if you get what I mean, right? So, yeah, so um, this happened to him in vitro, and it will make a lot more sense when I tell you this finding that they've now come up with, which links this to him to also being born. Genetically, Putin was a female in vitro, and that's how this whole Parkinson's thing got roaring. So, yeah, and I don't believe that they even know that they even see these connections themselves. So it's kind of, it, it's very interesting. And in my world, I've been talking for a very, very long time about these diseases being related to hormones and whatnot, and I got like a real big bingo moment when they came up with this latest finding. So anyway, so yeah, it cannot be cured. I don't know about surgery, boy, that would really be a toss-up. But anyway, not medical advice. Go look at the, the, the myriad of things that come along with Parkinson's, right? And you start to notice all these things they get with Parkinson's, MS, diabetes. Look at any... Look at any nonprofit that has to do with diseases, okay? And that's how I originally actually started tracing these people down because I thought, well, okay, it's all about the money, right? So that's how I figured out the connection between hormones and diabetes because who has diabetes? Well, Mary Tyler Moore, right? And she would have been in that early uh, testing, you know, in vitro stuff. She got the diabetes. So whenever they lead these things up, right? Like, who was that? Jerry Lewis for years did the other nerve disorder kind of disease, right? So, yeah, look what diseases they're pitching, and there you got your answers, right? So, anyway, so um, just the basic symptoms are tremors, trembling of hands, arms, legs, jaw, and face, stiffness of the arms, legs, and trunk, slowness of movement, poor balance and coordination, and speak speech difficulty. So yeah, Michael J. Fox is the most famous one and the um out you know, some famous boxer and the famous boxer I used to think maybe had it because, you know, it seemed like he got hit in the head, see what I mean, it got some sort of nerve thing. But now as they're finding more research I can find more of my own connections that I've been looking at start to make sense. So anyhow, so um Researchers believe that Parkinson's results from a combination of both genetic and environmental factors. In recent years, scientists have discovered a number of genetic mutations associated with Parkinson's. In about 1% of PD, which means Parkinson's disease cases, the disease can be linked to a mutation in a gene called, pay attention to these letters because, you know, they like to code all this stuff, right? L-R-R-K-2, okay? So that's 1% of the PD cases, Parkinson's cases, can be linked to this mutation of a gene, right? Okay. So while that may sound like a small number, 
the percentage is much higher in a certain pop in certain populations. Well, guess who that population is? In the Ashkenazi Jewish population. So, general population of 1%, that makes sense because remember, we're getting fed a diet of eugenics and hormones and, you know, all babies go to the back room of hospitals, okay, especially if you're looking at this country here. So, you know, that's why I believe that gay people are basically originating from it, just in general, okay, just in general, just think about it, okay. Um, yeah, in order to flip our sexes, if every boy gets a little bit of a shot of his estrogen, I always wondered where the really effeminate men came from. But anyway, different subjects. So, um, so the percentage in the Ashkenazi Jewish population, the mutation in the Ashkenazi Jewish population is responsible for 15 to 20 percent of Parkinson's cases. Okay, so they they're hit pretty hard if other populations get 1% of this and they get 15 to 20%, right? Pretty high odds you're going to get Parkinson's if you're um, an Ashkenazi Jew. Um, I don't remember, you know, these segments sometimes like you have so much going on. Um, Tom Hanks has, um, well, I've got pictures over the website of him shaking and grabbing his hand. So, um, so, um, and then they said, not all, everyone with this mutation will go on to develop Parkinson's. Well, whatever. But, um, but researchers believe that learning more about the genetics of Parkinson's by studying those with and without the disease can help drive programs for new treatments for everybody with Parkinson's disease. Well, here's the deal. Um, they're giving it to probably a decent percentage of the rest of us, and they're, they're giving more of it to themselves, right? If you look at the Ashkenazi Jewish population being kind of having such a high density of the Parkinson's. And just go look at the website. Look at the maps that I have there that show the Jewish concentration worldwide. It starts to really, you start to do the math there, right? You start to wonder why these, why these certain countries have such a high density of both Parkinson's and Jewish populations. So, yeah, so Michael J. Fox is probably the most famous one. Uh, of course, he is Jewish. How did I find out he was Jewish? Let me scroll down here. Um, I don't know. He, you know, first of all, he's part of this Jewish organization. <laughs> um, so, because, you know, Michael J. Fox didn't sound like a Jewish name to me. And um, so, let me scroll down here. Um, he was, um, I found a quote that, the Jewish American Heritage Month is a time for paying tribute to the generations of Jewish Americans who have helped form the fabric of American history, culture, and our society. Our own founder, Michael J. Fox, has spoken about the role of Judaism in his philosophy, his family life, and his life with Parkinson's. He has said, I'm not Jewish, but everyone in my world is. Well, I don't know, but you have to just think for yourself. <laughs> Sounds like Jewish to me, but whatever, right, okay? Maybe he's just a nice guy supporting a cause. Maybe maybe he's not really transgender, okay? Maybe I've gotten all this. Maybe, maybe I am the one who has just gotten all of this wrong. So let me continue on. Uh, but, you know, he just happens to be founding a, a, a foundation that is for Parkinson's, which, you know, seems to hit a a large part of the Jewish population, and I don't know, he's also an actor, which is a Jewish-run organization, so, you know, the evidence seems kind of stacked in the direction that uh, Michael J. Fox is in the club, but anyway, think for yourself, but anyway, so, um, 
they're looking for um, what they said was, and remember, this is the reason I'm saying this is because um, this supports what I've been saying for a very long time that they are in fact making this up as they go along, okay? And uh, yeah, this this really helps to uh, put our timelines in in place because it shows the escalated use use over certain generations and stuff of these hormones. So they go on to say, um, and I'll be reading something that they did they, they now know is known, but this is what they're saying now. They said although the exact cause of Parkinson's remains unknown, scientists are looking to better understand the complex genetic, environmental, aging, and other risk factors that lead to Parkinson's. Uh, yeah, unlocking these can potentially help treat the disease and prevent it. Well, if I were their scientist on their team, I would say I would look into your use of testosterone. That would be my suggestion. But anyway, so here's the deal. Um, uh, it also is something that is hitting that hits private more males than women, and also uh, in later age groups. In other words, infants and things like that don't get Parkinson's. But you know how bad this has gotten? They now have this whole group of um, infants with dementia. Seriously, there's there's like a um, channel on YouTube, and there's millions of them, right? It's, it's a whole new category, infants with dementia. So something they're doing with the hormones in vitro are giving them infants dementia. And something about this um, thing with Parkinson's seems to be going after mainly male and mainly um, older. So if it's going after male, that means that, you know, it's a female. And you'll know more in a minute why I'm saying. Basically, what we're looking at is an in vitro female who is baby Putin in the womb, okay? In vitro female. And that in vitro female was given testosterone treatment. So when he came out of the womb, it was a male, right, because it had been transgendered in the womb. And don't forget, I found out the, um, they were doing the cleft chin by testosterone in the womb also, right? They have a big issue with their administration of testosterone. Anyway, not medical advice, just a big, big red flag in my observations and all of my work. Okay, so, and I've documented every bit of this, so go catch up. I've said it all before. It's the testosterone that they really are out of control with, okay? And that's the source of a lot of these diseases. At least that's what I'm finding, right? And I don't know anybody who's looking harder than I am. So, <laughs> um, so they think it's unknown, but this is really, remember, once they also identify what it is, then the fundraising begins, right? Then they can go and um, start some big, huge corporate corporation and sell a whole lot of pills and a lot of false hopes. You know, because remember, everybody that gets this is not a psychopath. And everybody, even, even the people who were transgender in the womb are definitely not all psychopaths. So we don't need to, like, start blanketing populations either. But, yeah, it, it's a pretty serious disease to be getting. So, um, and it is definitely linked, linked genetically. So um, they say now that 30% of Parkinson's risk is explained by genetics. And it's only being studied by a handful of genetics connections. So, yeah, and, you know, it just, it accounts for a much greater number of cases in people of particular ethnic background, including 
Ashkenazi, Eastern Europeans, Jewish descent. So, yeah, I, I don't know what else to tell you because uh, it's pretty clear to me that uh, the population this is in is Ashkenazi Jew. The population, meaning the rest of us, highly likely, you know, a little little slip of uh, testosterone, you know, either in the mom's womb or in some sort of procedure in pregnancy. When you're looking at evil, you really have to look at every aspect. You can't think, oh, that's just too rough. I, I don't think anybody would do that. No, no. I think I've proven all games are open. So let me close this with, with this one thing here. This quote that I found to be interesting, because this was a quote that um, the people were talking about, Michael J. Fox and his um, how, how happy they were to receive his uh, support. Because this was something out of, like, I think it was a Jerusalem Post or something. They were going on and on about what a hero they thought Michael J. Fox was. And, of course, Michael J. Fox says he's not a Jew. So, I don't know. You have to draw the math yourself. If somebody would take a swing at his genealogy, you'd probably find that all roads would lead to him being Jewish. But, anyway, so, there's this saying... So the Jerusalem Post people, like I'm saying, were, were happy to announce that, you know, their close association with Michael J. Fox, you know, suspiciously supporting a primarily Jewish organ, Jewish disease who he's saying that he has not much relationship to other than just some random fondness. So they went on to say, I'm going to re read their quote. There is a Jewish saying, Tikkum Olam, T-I-K-K-U-N-O-L-A-M which refers to acts of kindness to make the world a better place. As a family living with Parkinson's, we remain hopeful in the possibilities for better treatment than a cure. We see the work of the Foundation's research strategy and are inspired by their approach. Even when one, even when one door closes, another one opens. Well, I think that um, it's a very sad deal that's going on with these hormones, and... Not much more to say because let's keep in mind that when they're randomly giving the general whole population of people hormones, there's, there's lots of ways that these things can be given to people, okay? So, you know, many, many, many ways. All you think about are what are the common things a certain population takes, right? Well, in the United States, I'd have to say, would say pattern, right? All, almost all babies in this country pass through a hospital, right? Well... You don't have to think much farther than that, right? So um, just think about it. What other countries, where is a common thing that all these babies intersect with these monsters? So that's the only way to look at these people as monsters. But can't really run down that lane and start hating them because that's the lane they fully occupy, kids. So, yeah, this, this is the ugly face of evil monsters. So we'll pick it up on the other side. segment I'm going to be going over the um, new discovery with the hormones and um, Parkinson's disease but before I get started let me scroll over here and just scroll through some famous people with Parkinson's disease to um, give you an idea 
Um, so, so there's they they say that there's currently no blood or laboratory tests that have been proven to help in diagnosing Parkinson's. Interesting, right now this could not be true, but this is what this particular piece is saying. Okay. The diagnosis is based on medical history and a neurological examination. And I want to point out in a minute here about we need to understand the part of the brain because we're dealing with Putin who has a pretty serious disease which will be impacting his brain. Okay, so, okay, so, um, yeah, the diagnosis is based on medical history and neurological, and also they say it's based on family history, but like I pointed out in the past with that Chen deal, because people say, oh, well, you know, Kirk Douglas had the um, cleft chin, and so did his son, Michael Douglas, also has the same cleft chin. Well, if both parties are taking hormones, then yeah, that is father and son, right? But that doesn't mean that, you know, the father gave it to the son because I believe that highly likely that, for example, in that generation, likely that Kirk Russell had already been transgendered himself in vitro, right? So who, who the father of his son is open for a debate because his son has, in fact, been transgendered. See how this could start to go in a big rabbit circle. But anyway, so let's look at a few of these people that are known to have Parkinson's. They say that Adolf Hitler had it because there was actually, I saw that there's some World War II clips out there showing him holding his hands. What you look for is them holding their hands and, you know, awkward hand movement. So, but yeah, I, I looked to see if, if Adolf Hitler was really played by Walt Disney, I couldn't find out if Walt Disney had Parkinson's and it became too much time. But yeah, so... I have seen those clips of Adolf Hitler with the shaking hands. Anyway, so let me just buzz through this list here real quick of the ones that stood out to me. Um, Janet Reno, one of our big-time um, warmongers in this country, Parkinson's. Um, Deng Xiaoping, a Chinese politician. Um, let me scroll down here. Um, Eugene McCarthy. American politician, 1916 to 2005, so that means that 1916, some in vitro stuff was going on, right? So that gives us a pretty good date. So were his parents or her parents transgender themselves? Got to go up to the next chain here, right? So, um, yeah, so we can look at that date of 1916 as this generation of people highly likely were transgendered. And here shows a little bit more evidence because why do they have this disease caused by these hormones? So, anyway, George Wallace, another key figure, Muhammad Ali, famous, um, he was born Cassius Clay Jr., born 1942. We got another generation. We went from 1916 to 42. Um, Michael J. Fox, I already talked about him. So, it's a pretty, pretty impressive. Um, Sir Alex Isigonis, I should have picked one I can pronounce, British car designer. Um, Sir Michael Redgrave, British actor. Michael Redgrave, 1908 to 1985. For sure, transgendered. Um, Vincent Price, that was an interesting one. Didn't know he had Parkinson's disease. Now, Vincent Price, 
if you look at Vincent Price in pictures, Vincent Price, that see, they all likely have pockets of medical people treating them, obviously, based on their demographics, their ability to travel to them, and that kind of stuff. Because you can start to see some kind of patterns, like, for example, in the Kennedy group, um, that RFJ, RFK Jr. has that voice he can barely talk. I'm not making fun, I'm just trying to give you an example. Um, that voice that he can barely talk with, um, that is a disease that attacks the throat. And I noticed that one of his cousins, a prominent cousin, I forget her name, but she also has that voice. Well, that's from hormone use. So what does that tell us? Well, that likely that doctor in that region or treating that family or whatever the case may be assigned to them, you know, you pick the thing, right? Obviously, it had a different understanding of, you know, the dosing of the medicine, right? Do you think controlling any of these people all around the world, the country, in the elite cycles, you know, controlling all of their individual doctors to getting them the right doses to transgender themselves is an easy task? Well, I would have to say that the people in charge probably have their handfuls because we know that they're all connected. But, yeah, they would have their handfuls, especially when they were doing this early testing, right? Early, you know, early administering of hormones, not testing, uh, but testing, actually administering to themselves. So, yeah, so um, it's really something else. So, yeah, they obviously started on themselves, and this is where we're starting to see a lot of these pools. So, anyway, so that's about it on this list. Let me get back over to the other thing here. Um, yeah, so key people, shaking disorders, you know, all these things that they get nervous disorders, um, and let's not lose sight, and I have to reiterate this one more time, a lot of people who aren't celebrities are getting these diseases, and that absolutely does not mean that they were willingly taking these hormones, okay, so keep that in mind, okay, because there's so many possibilities when we're in the middle of a eugenics program, what else can you call it, right? So anyway, another interesting connection here with the Ashkenazi Jews, which ties into Parkinson's. And how this all relates, I'm still sorting it out right now, okay? But because I'm now looking at Parkinson's, I've had all these files on all this stuff. But now that, you know, Putin has my attention and the fact that he's a world leader and the fact that he's suffering from a brain disorder um, seems of, of concern, right? Because, in general, Parkinson's is a, let me expand this up a little bit so I can see it. Um, all Parkinson's is, is a, the way the neurotransmitters in the brain function. Well, that is pretty concerning, right? If somebody on the world stage has this. And, you know, I mean, people are showing up. You know, I mentioned Tom Hanks and all these people and stuff. So, it's, it would appear to me that there's a lot of abnormalities going on in the brains of the people who are um, appearing in front of us to be in charge, okay? And, yeah, I find that very interesting. So here's this other connection they've come up with between Parkinson's and Crohn's disease, okay? They say that Ashkenazi Jews with Crohn's disease have an increased likelihood of carrying a gene mutation that causes Parkinson's disease, this new science. And these studies were from 
I think 2000, 2018. So here again, not that long ago, kids, right? So what does this tell us? Well, these people aren't anywhere close to this transhuman thing. <laughs> you know, you build up this thing, hey, we're ready to make humans. Well, I, I think they got a lot of problems to fix in the meantime, okay? Okay, so this is from 2018. The study published in Scientific Translation Medicine. And you know, if you're ever looking for things, okay, let's say you find just one long sentence or quote somewhere, just try this, just copy and paste that, put it into uh, the old search machines, you know, the Google folks, and you will find this exact reference, okay? But keep in mind, these references a lot of times change. But this was from a science translation medicine. And it said they could help doctors understand the causes of both Parkinson's and Crohn's, a disease causing chronic inflammation of the digestive system that is disproportionately prevalent among Ashkenazi Jews. So, you know, obviously we could make the leap that, you know, somebody who has Parkinson's disease likely, very likely, also would be suffering from Crohn's disease, right? And uh, we will also have a chart over at the thing showing you exactly um, how I don't know. It doesn't seem like Crohn's, seems Crohn's disease is a pretty serious disease, okay? Um, and you couple that with Parkinson's, and it, it, it doesn't sound good. So, um, so this was a decade-long. Um, so they, so from this we see that Ashkenazi Jews have inflammation of the digestive system, okay, and that leads to Crohn's. So they did a decades-long study, and they found that Ashkenazi Jews with Crohn's disease are more likely to have the LRRK2 gene mutation, which the Michael J. Fox Foundation calls the greatest known genetic contributor to Parkinson's. And this was only in, I remind you, 2018, okay, they finally found the gene. Okay, they're a long ways from uh, competing with our creator in actually building a human. It seems like every human they touch becomes a living disaster. But hey, I'm just sharing the research. You do a little bit of thinky-thinky about this stuff, kids. So anyway, so um, uh, I'll read this because it, it's from this, you know, there's this hospital called Mount Sinai. And there's a, I think there's a hospital called Sinai in Los Angeles also, and obviously they're Jewish-run organizations, and um, I don't know, for some reason, cyanide is poison, right? <laughs> oh, just saying. <laughs> whenever I've read, whenever I read of this Mount Sinai, and there's, I, I don't remember if that's the one that's the leading in transgender surgeries in LA, but they're all in on the game, and they all also have what, uh, YouTube channels, so if you want to tune into whatever surgeries and horrors they're, they're perpetuating right now. Um, kind of interesting, right? A race of people, these Jews who claim that they were so maligned, are the ones leading the uh, leading the charge to mutilate every child in the world that they can get their uh, evil hands on. But l let me not get myself diverted here. Uh, so, the presence of shared L RRK2 mutations in patients with Crohn's disease and Parkinson's disease provides refined insight into disease mechanisms and may have major implications in the treatment 
of these two seemingly unrelated disease, says lead researcher Inga Peter, professor of genetics and genomic studies at the Eichen School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. Dr. Peterson, and that was uh, Dr. Inga Peters, Dr. Inga Peter, Peter, excuse me, Peter, Peter, got that word, Peter, P-E-T-E-R, okay. Dr., maybe her name really is that, um, Dr. Peter and her colleagues analyzed 23,000 genetic mutations in 2,066 Ashkenazi Jews with Crohn's and 2,633 Ashkenazi Jews who didn't have Crohn's. So they had two groups. One group was 2,066 with Crohn's and 3,633 who don't have Crohn's, okay? The analysis also found that Crohn's patients with a riskier version of the LRRK2 mutation were more likely to develop Crohn's in a small intestine, which is harder to treat. Crohn's patients with the riskier LRRK2 mutation also developed the disease an average of six years earlier than patients who did not have the mutation. Yeah, this has to do with, um, if you look at those charts over at the website, the um, in the tab called Show Notes, the um, what's happening is, you know, it, it kicks in around, you know, obviously there's a certain portion of their 40s and stuff, but you can see the escalation on those charts there. And so what they're saying is, if, if, if the group of them are getting them when they're 60s, this is kicking it back to their 50s. So, you know, we can make some assumptions here, you know, the groups that are younger, maybe getting kicked into there because they they had, had Crohn's to start with, right? So, yeah, because I looked up the incidence of Parkinson's worldwide, and you can really start to take a look at those maps, and, you know, think for yourself, what do you think that looks like? I think it looks like um, things are not going well in the hormone department. But that's just an opinion. I'm just trying to share research. So, um I also think this is likely happening, you know, these new studies and stuff, which is interesting because I'm, I'm thrilled to see them, right? Um, because uh, I also think the reason is, you know, they, they have this pattern, and of course you have, will have your own opinion, they have this pattern of creating a problem and then rushing in for the cure, right? So, you know, clearly they, I would have to argue that they have in fact created Parkinson's with, with the use of hormones, right? I don't think that's leap that I'm getting to here. So, uh, yeah, so they create this with the hormones. I don't think any of them are connecting that this is what's making all these people sick, right? I, I, because the, they'd have to be taking a look at the, how the transgender part plays into this, right? And why are these people coming up with these diseases caused by the female thing? Because I'm going to get to that in a second here. So, yeah, uh, I also see it as a business opportunity because all these early introductions of the cures, right, become just out of control expensive, right? Like they came up with some cure for, um, or some really sketchy cure for Alzheimer's or something. Well, I, I could go on and on about Alzheimer's is likely hormone related, but I have to stay focused here. So, um, yeah, so, you know, they, then they rush in for the cure. So all of the early medicines that will come out of these studies will have a purpose for them, right? Somebody is funding these studies is what I'm getting at, right? 
And I don't think the studies are all just to help be helpful because remember my saying, evil has to come back into itself. So it, it provides interesting data for me to be able to look at because they are doing these studies. So yeah, but then they introduce these drugs, and the money in these drugs is before the patent runs out, right? So they have, really have a license to do whatever they want in the early part. So let's not cut ourselves about why they're hunting for these cures, right? Because it certainly appears to me, and you have your own opinion, that they're kind of coming up with this stuff, like, <laughs> you know, really recently, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, 2018 seems like just a few years ago to me that they're starting to figure this stuff out. So let's talk about the most interesting part of what whole all of this looking I've been doing in the park is this together for you. And this exact quote um, is this. It says, okay, now remember, let's, let's give you a little recap here. I'm 99.99% sure that um, the people getting this Parkinson's that are uh, in the elevated, you know, early transgender phase, aka likely black nobility family members, right, um, we're getting transgendered as early as the early 1900s. So that's where we're looking at all this Parkinson's disease from, right? Well, um, what they recently just found, which is fascinating, is that where does Parkinson come from? Now, I've known all along, and I've been talking about this for months and years, of that, that I, I had an idea that Parkinson's came from hormone use. But this really, <laughs> this is like a really big day for me, okay? I have to say, I have to do a little lap here because this ties it all together. And let me read what it says because uh, where does, where, where did they find this gene from? Well, <laughs> the female hormone, so this, this remember, Putin, let's wrap this around here. Putin has Parkinson's, okay? Not much argument about that right now. They've, they've been mumbling about this for a while, so naturally Putin's been on my, <laughs> on my radar. Remember, he is a world leader and likely royalty, and I, I, would, I would have to guess, before I even get to explain this black nobility, it's a very slick group, okay? It's higher than the Malta crowd. Anyway, so uh, they don't give out awards like the Baltic crowd. They literally run things, okay? And I, I would swigger a guess that when I finally get to that file that um, Putin's family would trace back to that file. And if anybody knows genealogy, help me out. Just figure out his genealogy and I'll be able to tell If you can tell me where his line of people came from, I will be able to tell you 100% if he is, in fact, um, this black nobility thing. So here's the very interesting part. They just recently, I, they just studied, figured this out in the last few years, okay. Uh, or maybe, uh, no. Oh, this was like, this was, this right here I'm going to read to you is the latest one. I'm going to wrap this one up. Okay. The female hormone known as chloronic gonotropia, also known as HCG, protects nerve cells in the brain that are lost in people with Parkinson's disease. So they know that this female hormone protects the nerve cells in the brain, okay? And they just did a recent mouse study model. So this stuff is like hot off the press, okay, this year. So uh, these findings suggest that HCG may be an effective therapeutic agent to slow Parkinson's progression in it. So, 
so this, why is this significant? Well, because right here they have said that <laughs> they've identified, and you now sure it's just rat studies, right? I would guess probably also human studies, but they can't admit if they're doing human studies. So, hey, when you look at things, you have to look at all things, right? I'm just saying that they're saying it was rat studies. So anyway, so they say that these rat studies um, show that it's a female hormone. Well, then you got to ask, well, hey, wait a minute here. Putin, right in front of us, is a man, right? Well, okay, I rest my case, okay. So you have to wonder why is Putin, who's a man, suffering from a disease which they now have linked to a female hormone. Well, you know, and you know, in the end, they may decide that this isn't true, that these uh, rat diseases, these rat studies prove something else down the road, but I don't know. I would view this as pretty significant, and I'd also view it pretty significant in light of the fact that the, these people that are leading things are coming out in a pretty high proportion of, of this disease, because if you think about it this way, okay, just look at the population of the Ashkenazi Jews, okay, and you figure that they, they've now found that potentially 20% of them are coming down Parkinson's, okay. And then you compare that to the percentage of Ashkenazi Jews who were part of the elite section, the Zionist part, or I don't know if the Ashkenazi Jews all call themselves the Zionists, but I think the Zionists are just the top ones. But anyways, and these words all get interplayed, so. But in theory, you can say this. One out of four of the people in the Zionist circle, which really, they're, it's, it's their way of saying, hey, we're Ashkenazi Jews. Jews, right, if you think about it, um, they just now say, oh, we're Zionists, so what was this, some sort of repackaging along the way, well, I don't know, but anyway, so, um, so we could, we could safely say by these studies that I've been talking about today, and finding out that this um, female estrogen thing is, we could actually right now say that, well, okay, so this means that one out of four of the Zionist group that would be the people at the top, right? The ones running Israel. And I'll talk about my thoughts about Israel and the Palestinian thing. Okay, so one out of four of the Zionists that are heading up the deal in Israel, that, that have control of that land there, okay? One out of four of them are now diagnosed, could be diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, which is, in fact, a brain thing, okay? Okay, so... One out of four of them. Now, remember, in the last show, I played a clip about their kind of big, big push calling the alarm, saying, hey, in the Ashkenazi Jew population, we have a really serious genetic problem going on, right? Finding out these numbers that I'm talking about, I mean, pretty alarming numbers when you get into one out of four of the population. And it's getting something is, I don't know, take a look for yourself. It seems to me like Parkinson's is a pretty hardcore disease. I mean, it literally, it literally affects the entire body starting, pay attention to this part, starting with the brain, okay? So we now know a whole bunch of new things today, now don't we kids? So yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It, I don't know. Um. So, and always, always think about this. These are the people in charge. Now, also keep in mind, things can have many different factors, okay? I am not, I think that 
I've been talking about that years of hormone use would certainly have some sort of impact on, um, you know, the, the capacity to uh, be smart, right? Because if you're taking a diet of hormones, I'm talking about just the world leaders, okay? If you're taking a diet in vitro of hormones since birth, which is reorganizing your entire, um, you know, they're trying to reorganize their own genetics, right? Well, um, the, the toll that is happening because of that seems to be pretty severe, if you ask me, when you consider that them coming up with things like Parkinson's disease. And it's also unfortunate that because they're giving this to themselves, they're likely giving it to a lot of the rest of us, right? So, you know, I'm not going to start guessing, but, you know, there's going to be a good percentage of people with Parkinson's who are not, in fact, you know, done by their parents. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we have to start pulling populations apart. So, yeah, so it also shows, you know, I mean, Granted, they likely didn't know when they agreed to um, um, either in vitro um, start to flip their own children back in the early 1900s. You know, um, their parents all look suspect to me. But let, let's say, for example, the early 1900s, um, the parents decided to um, flip the children in vitro. Well, was that in vitro that mother you know, that we see in the picture and stuff. Who knows, right? But, but let's say that that's the case. Um, well, it seems like these people are pretty committed to tricking the rest of us, right? And one could say, well, they didn't know that uh, doing this was going to make the next generation come down with Parkinson's and stuff. Like, you know, in order to make Michael J. Fox a celebrity, somebody did something to him, right? And now the outcome is that he's got a severe case of Parkinson's. So, yeah. Was it knowingly? No, probably not, because I can say that I would think these people seem to have a pattern of being in some sort of rush to get this deal going, and it seems to be, at least this is just my opinion, it appears to me that it's a pretty big stumbling match with, you know, what's going on here. A lot of, um, only a lot of pretty recent um, information, you know, so is is racing along on a pattern that seems to be kind of, I don't know, I would say kind of falling apart at the seams to a degree. You know, have you looked at any of them once they turn about 50? Well, you know, anyway, so, and I think that there's pockets of them, you know, pockets of doctors treating these people. For example, I talked about those Kennedys just probably two seconds ago, but yeah, you get what I mean. Um, because it has to be on some sort of regional basis or something. And I, I'm sure it's coordinated at the top, right? But, and I've, I think that it has to have had, and, you know, you, you can see, at least I can see that, you know, there's a, um, well, I would I would offer just my overview here, okay, that um, I can see patterns just, even if we look at, like, the, the movies they produced, okay, you look at, I mean, they were really brilliant when they were in those film noirs and stuff, okay, and now, I mean, they can barely pull together, you know, something that, you know, can barely even, you know, people are gasping into the microphone. Even the old musicians, they, they, they were, the songs that the agents wrote were good ones, right? Now they can barely scream into the microphone. So you have to look at all these things and ask yourself, is it because the people doing those things, you know, writing the songs and doing that stuff, 
you know, it has to have been because there's been some changes in the hormones that have now dummied them down this next generation, right? I mean, it's something to think about, right? And so, but I, I do not want anybody to start thinking that, yeah, that makes sense, dumbing down for the next generation, so that means the people in charge are dumbing down. Well, I think maybe visibly the people we see in charge may be dumbing down. That's the point I'm trying to get here, right? I see it that the people in charge, you know, the Putin-level people, have clearly been given certain doses of, you know, hormones and stuff that, you know, I mean, Parkinson's is about a brain disorder. Let's not keep skipping past that part. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it has to be that, you know, each generation is getting a little bit more, and they're using it differently. And, of course, in some regions, those particular doctors may be like, up in the dose a little bit, or each body reacts differently and stuff. But yeah, it's certainly something you know worth worth considering. That you know, it, it's a pretty concerted effort to um, you know when you're willing to have these kinds of diseases to you know hide and trick the rest of us. But I, I really honestly don't think that most of them have a clue. So you know, we really can't go there and think, well, you know, why is he doing this? Because you know, it was done to them and. They were born into this life of, you know, just born into this life of um, this nobility thing, right? It's really, you can't twist it a knot over this stuff. That's why they want to keep directing everybody just to the Rothschilds, because we're looking at a group of them, okay? And I'm really certain that Putin is at that group, in that group. So it's fascinating to know that he actually has this genetic thing, which they've now connected to a female hormone, which now helps me a tremendous deal in my research because, you know, I can say without a doubt that this was in vitro and this was early female hormone usage, you know, to a male. He started off as, yeah. So anyway, so onward we go. Okay, let me wrap this up so we can, um, so Archie can do his magic to the show. And magic it is. Okay, so we learned a new word today, kids. So a couple, couple things that I'd like to draw your attention to. Consider fans, okay, because remember, he who controls oil controls the world, and they're going to be playing with that, so fans are likely going to be the, um, well, the, the option versus any form of air conditioning, right? And also, um, here's what I suggest. Um, some people who I may or may not know happen to live in neighborhoods that are maybe not so great, and um, the problem with fans in the evenings can be that it diffuses a lot of outside noises. So my suggestion for what it's worth is look for a fan that is quiet, okay? And like I know that like Costco right now has um, quiet fans in a reasonable price range. So just a really strong suggestion, okay? And don't forget to get those really long leashes. So whenever you let your dog out and, you know, you have any question or even like, 
if they need to go out during the middle of the night, put that leash on. Don't let them roam a couple acres or any or however much space you have and live in the assumption that, oh, they're going to call come back when I call them. No, they're going to run to that fence and try to protect things. So get those leashes and consider a quiet fan because a noisy fan diminishes your dog's ability and your ability to hear a lot of outside noises. So just a little tip there, okay? And over at the website, you do realize that, that we can't live longer than a few days without water. So there's a lot going on with water that, you know, I don't have the ability to cover. And it makes more sense for, I give you the links that I have looked at, the ones that I think tell the story the best. So go over to the website and there's, um, you know, there's a couple of good things that I pulled together for you to look at that regarding the water in China and here in the United States. And keep in mind this, when you look at these issues with water and electricity that's going to be coming up in the future, okay, I could only speak to this country here, okay, ground zero eugenics, right? So um, here's the deal uh, to pay attention to. Things like electricity and water are shared between different states, okay? So each state can be dependent on the other state. Like, for example... Colorado in the news was yapping about um, their need to protect water because they share water with Nebraska. I'm just giving you some general examples here, okay? So, yeah, and in California, you know, a lot of that water starts in Nevada that goes between those states there, right? Remember, they're, they're, they're drilling up all this stuff, and I'm just speculating here, okay? They're drilling up all this stuff about all these tensions between parties, blue state, red state, and all this kind of stuff. So, what would to say that if the water is originating from a blue state, you know, some scuffle and, oh, we're not going to send it to the red state. See what I mean? So, you know, they're already playing games with, like, I mean, they play the craziest psyopses. Um, so they're already playing games with um, between border things already because I've said for a few years now that eventually we're going to be shut off between borders in this country. So... I think I've laid a pretty good path toward getting there. So anyway, so take a look at and understand in your country, your area, wherever you are, what's the deal with water? You know, do you have enough gallon stores so you can at least flush your toilets in the meantime? Yeah, all those things are pretty serious because some of these reservoirs are down like by about 80%. I mean, it's pretty drastic, okay? They say, they say, okay, and it appears to me that this part is true, the early work done with these dams and these things for water, um, they were done actually in a decent manner, okay? But there's been, um, like everything else, it's, it's a rip and burn operation, right? So it's the de degradation of everything. And I kind of think it's become like a fundraising thing, of course. They raise money from the public because probably water <laughs> things is easier to raise money off of. So, did the money all go toward making sure everybody has water? Well, no, I, I can't see that it does because there's a severe issue right now with water. So, I would seriously take a look at all that. And, you know, I have said for a long time, this is the plan, not the bug in the system, okay? So, let me wrap up here with some interesting things about Putin. Um which I found interesting, okay? And don't forget to look at those maps over there because we can know a lot by the, the diseases, 
the genetics and the maps, okay? We can also know where their primary locations are, okay? So, yeah, and, you know, they call themselves black nobility for a reason, and I'm sure I know why, and I'll have to get back to that later, okay? So, let me, there's this kind of an interesting quote about Putin. It says, um, and this is where we learn the new word today. So, anyways. Putin is a master of the silky insinuation and the veiled threat, and so people wondered if this was merely the latest. Is some quote that he made. Though his humor is that of an emotionally arrested, swaggering adolescent projecting the image of a tough guy, Putin can be pretty funny, even when most of his jokes turn out to be menacing threats. Still, Putin is famous for his reputation as a philo-Semite with myriad sentiment connections that date back to his Leningrad, Leningrad childhood. Okay, so Putin is funny. He makes um, threatening, kind of menacing jokes, and he is famous for his reputation as a philo-Semite. That is spelled P-H-I-L-O dash semite s-e-m-i-t-e okay he he is known reputation as having that and from a myriad of sentimental connections that date back to his leningrad childhood okay so from his childhood he had these philo semite deals going on right he's known as that this philo-semite is a category of people, okay? So now we need to find out, my, my mind went to, well, what is this philo-semite business, right? It's a group of them. And so philo-semitism is a notable interest in respect for and appreciation of the Jewish people, their history, and the influence of Judaism, particularly on the part of non-Jews. So particularly non-Jews have this respect, appreciation, and admiration for Jewish people and their history, right? And the influence of Judaism. That is the view that they claim that Putin has toward the Jews, okay? And I also have, will have links to some of these articles over there that talk from, you know, um, Jerusalem Post and places that I've talked about today. Uh, anyhow, so this is interesting. In the aftermath of World War II, the phenomenon of philo-cinemism saw a great increase through Europe following the Holocaust, reshaping the relationship between Jews and European societies said American historian Daniel Cohen. He states that philo-Semitism can indeed easily recycle anti-Semitic themes, recreate Jewish otherness, or strategically compensate for Holocaust guilt. Well, yeah, okay, so I don't know. It's just a it's just a group within it, okay? And it, it means that Putin, to me, and this is where you need to come to your own conclusion, it appears to me that this indicates that Putin is very friendly toward his Jewish relations, okay? So you do the math and look at the maps and see where the Jewish populations are. So, okay, the Jewish portfolio, both within the country and in terms of relationships with international Jew Jewry, 
and with the Israeli government are very important to the pre Russian president, though his relationship to Jews is anything but simple. See, they're all on board with that Israeli government. Isn't that interesting, right? You realize that the U.S. funds the Israelis so much that they have health care for their, their people, but the people in this country do not have health care. Yeah, well, this is because a Jew is... Uh, this is their homeland, but the homeland they stole. But man, I can't even start getting going on that one right now. So let's just focus on this. So, um, yeah. So, Putin is very fond of the Israeli Jews. So I'm, I'm guessing we put him in the. Um, there's a few people they have listed in the Zionist group that aren't necessarily, you know, they, they're not listed as Jews because they're all crypto Jews. So we have to kind of make some conclusions here. It went on to say, Putin has certainly thought about Jews and Judaism and the character of the Jewish people fairly deeply. And his respect for Jews and personal involvement in issues considering Russian Jewry is certainly not fake. Upon, upon first ascending to power in Russia, Putin found that he had to bring the original early 1990s post-Soviet oligarchy to heal in order to consolidate total control. That oligarchy was heavily Jewish. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And after political opponents such as, I can't even, Borensky and uh, Kordowski were safely imprisoned or exiled, he set about supplanting it with his lo own loyal oligarchy. Okay, so 1990s, right, a lot happened in the 1990s, remember, that's when the computers became available, so did a little overthrowing action, the mafia moved from, um, the, the mafia moved from, um, you know, the streets, the gangsters, to the um, high-tech Silicon Valley, right? So, interesting, right about the same time, uh, we got Putin in this big change in the 90s. Um, yeah, Change, you know, this is fascinating, actually, if you think about it, because we have a huge change of oligarchy in Russia under Putin concerning the Russian jewelry. And it happened in the 1990s, and uh, that oligarchy was heavily Jewish, right? So uh, uh, they were safely imprisoned or exiled. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, interesting juncture in time. Uh, because that was the same time that they were doing all this other stuff. The same time that the, um, I, I am proposing, the same time that the Italian um, mafia, uh, also, you know, their arm of people was doing their all thuggery through this country. Um, you know, that, the 1990s was the same time that it shifted into um, more formal, things in Silicon Valley. I mean, they doled out the stuff for Google and all that stuff in the 90s. So, you know, it's, it, it's just interesting that this transition between the obvious oligarchy who happened to be Jewish in Russia happened to have been, uh, oh, I don't know, had some problems and kicked out and stuff, right? Brought to heel. So, yes, and that group was, uh, but this new oligarchy, this is interesting, whose claim to wealth was that of unwavering loyalty to Putin. They also had numerous Jewish representatives, such as his old childhood friends, the Rottenberg brothers. Putin was 
always keenly aware of needing to avoid accusations of anti-Semitism while fighting off the old Jewish elites. Well, okay, here, right here, okay, they're making a claim that Putin was fighting off the old um, Jewish elites, right? Well, he is the old Jewish elites, would be my guess, right? So, <laughs> okay, Russia's international Jewish organizations were like replenished with Kremlin loyalists. That's how controlled opposition works, kids. And a pliant chief oh oh and a pliant chief rabbi utterly loyal to the Kremlin was installed. The Putin Kremlin takes a very special interest in Russian Jewish relations, right? Very kind of very strong interest I would say, and by all accounts take the issue very seriously. The Israeli journalist Anshel Pfeiffer, who has written a very lively and keenly anticipated biography of Netanyahu, that was the guy in Israel, points out that Putin considers Netanyahu to be an equal. So Putin says he's an equal to the guy who was the leader of Israel, Netanyahu, right? Well, okay, that's a pretty good one. Because Netanyahu is obviously Jewish, right? And Putin's saying, hey, you're my buddy. We're the equals. He considers, let me see, who's he? Um, Putin considers Netanyahu to be an equal and treats him as such. He, and this is all in quotes. He considers the immigration of over a million Russian Jew citizens to Israel to be a significant loss to Russia. Pfeiffer explained to me, not me, but them, you know. In his own piece, Pfeiffer rightly pointed out that Putin has no issues with mobilizing anti-Semites or those who believe in anti-Semitic tropes when it suits his own goals. So yeah, you know, sometimes they're saying, darn, those Jews are terrible, straighten out. <laughs> that was a famous quote that Hillary, this is it true, Hillary Clinton, um, when Wall Street blew apart the last time, and it is like, like as of today or something, um, the uh, I guess nobody realized that uh, crypto crypto coins meant uh, you know the same thing they use for oh I don't know crypto Jews meaning fake Jews meaning these people that are hiding all over the place yeah and that that is a very sad deal I'm not going to go there but um, yeah the sad deal is is that it was another effort of robbery of the poor but anyway so yeah. Um, so he goes back and forth, but but basically I think evidence is showing that he is highly, highly sentimental toward the um, Jewish population. And let's not forget the Jewish population in Ukraine, also known as the dirtiest country in Europe. And, uh, you know, they seem to be rushing to give them billions and billions of dollars while everybody else around the world is starving. So just, just things to think about, just things to think about. So, um Certainly a pretty strong Jewish connection there, if you ask me. So, anyhow, so, um, let me see. Indeed, Putin and the Kremlin political narrative have weaponized the issue of European anti-Semitism on numerous occasions, such as when he flippantly invited European Jews to settle in Russia if they were truly experiencing anti-Semitism in Europe. So, yeah, he said, hey, if you don't like it there, move here. Um, the president also never ceases to amuse himself with cruel invocations of World War II era memory. With his speeches in public, pro 
pronouncements containing a continuous stream of comments about Ukrainian fascism. Oh, let me see if this is worth talking about. Um, oh, let me see. He's talking about um, more about the... This is kind of interesting. Um, I'm not here to censor information, but trying to provide what came to um, what I was really... Um, what I had read that led me to the conclusion about, you know, Putin's likely a Jew and Hartz is an Ashkenazi Jew disease, just as those kind of details. Let's reel back here. The outcome of American Middle East policy of the last few years has been to construct a hostile military alliance on the north borders of Israel with Russian military advisors serving as a de facto buffer between Iranian-led forces and the Golan Heights. The February 10th air battle, described by some analysts as a miniature war, was allegedly only stopped by the direct intervention of a phone call to Prime Minister Netanyahu from President Putin. Well, this would have been, you know, back in the day, right? So... All it took was a phone call from uh, Putin to Netanyahu in Israel. So, if he is not quite the essential decider of who controls what piece of land around Israel, meaning they're saying that <clears throat> Putin um, seems to be quite the essential decider of who controls which piece of land around Israel. See, this is the deal that is, like, absolutely the top of my brain right now okay and here it is what is it about israel what is it about israel and archie has posted a map of there of the land changed from palestinian to um, israel right because israel was only created in the late 40s okay so you know it started out with one agreement with the palestinians which appears to be kind of like a model of how the indians got treated right these people move in and say, hey, you know, we just want a little bit of land before they know it, it's all gone. Well, yeah, so um, it's interesting that Putin is kind of trolling around Israel, right? So here's what I don't understand is why that particular parcel of land, okay? What is it about that, right? So, yeah, uh, because... He, they consider a de facto buffer between Iranian-led forces and the Golan Heights. Okay, so why why that specific of the whole body of land all over the world? Why that little area is created this battle that uh, they basically, you know, after World War II, created Israel for these people to migrate to. Well, what's all that about, right? likely two groups of Jews might have migrated to Israel. One group out of it, out of Europe that could have possibly been the ones who were locked up during World War II. That group could have been lured over to Israel because, for example, if during World War II these people, the Ashkenazis, were then overpowering this other group of Jews. Okay, So if the Ashkenazis were overpowered this other group at that juncture, well, what group got sent off to the concentration camps? Well, likely that other group, right? And some of them could have been sent to that group and been told, hey, go here and hang out because war is terrible, and once this is over, we will send you to the promised land. See how 
see how this could all be starting to work right. Um, so, you know, that's also a very strong possibility. But then keep having to ask, why that land, okay? So anyway, so yeah, every every corner just opens up a bunch more questions, right? Okay, since today is, let me see, June the 15th, 2022, and the crypto market is crashing headfirst. Markets being seized, no one can access their accounts. Well, I've spoken about this in the past, but I will take this um, time since um, cryptocurrency has crashed because I've talked about why I thought it was not even real. Um, Quite a pump and dump, right? Thanks to all the little agents on social media. So, you know, crypto. What does crypto mean? Well, because we're talking about Putin today, um, Putin would be what I would consider a crypto Jew, right? Um, what's a crypto Jew? Well, based on what I've been telling you about Putin and his um, liking of the Jews and affinity for them, right? That just in a nutshell, but anyway, so a crypto Jew is somebody who has the secret adher adherence to Judaism while publicly professing to be of another faith. Practitioners are referred to as crypto Jews. Um, it's origin from the Greek world, Greek cryptos, that, which means hidden. The term is especially applied historically to Spanish Jews who outwardly profess Catholicism, also known as conversos, moranos, and anism, A-N-U-S-I-M. The phenomena is especially associated with Renaissance Spain following the massacre of 1391 and the expulsion of the Jews in 1492. Officially, Jews who converted in Spain during the 14th and 15th centuries were known as Cristianos Nuevos, New Christians. I studied Spanish, so I could mumble past these words better than all the ones I've had to avoid even trying to announce. Okay, so during the 14th and 15th centuries, they were known as Cristianos Nuevos, New Christians, but were commonly called Conversos. Conversos, C-O-N-F-E-R-S-O-S. Spain and Portugal passed legislation restricting their rights in the mother countries and colonies. Only Christians were allowed to go to the New World. Well, considering they call this place the New World, I'm not really sure what this indicates, right? So they're saying they left the Jews behind and only brought the Christians over here? Well, I beg to ar argue, but anyway, so... Despite the dangers of the Inquisition, many conversos continue to secretly and discreetly practice Jewish rituals, such as the festival of Santa Esterica, E-S-T-E-R-I-C-A. After the Alhambra Decree of 1492, numerous 
Conversios, also called Quente, X-U-E-T-A, in the Baltic Islands, ruled by Spain, publicly professed Roman Catholic Catholicism, but privately adhered to Judaism, even through the Spanish Inquisition. They were among the most widely known and documented crypto-Jews. So the gang in Spain is the most widely known crypto-Jews. So looks like they first started doing some major hiding during the Spanish era, right? And that's how I would read it, at least. Um, Crypto-Judaism existed also in earlier periods whenever Jews were forced or pressured to convert to the majority religion by the rulers of places where they resided. These people travel around a lot, right? Some of the Jewish followers of Sabate, which is Zevi, Z-E-V-I, formally converted to Islam and were known as Donmek, D-O-N-M-E-H. Later followers of Jacob Franca, called Frankus, formally converted to Christianity, but maintained aspects of practice of their versions of Judaism. Crypto-Jews persisted in Russia and Eastern European countries, influenced by the Soviet Union until the rise of communism with the Russian Revolution in 1917. Yes, 1917 is a really key time that I keep talking about getting back to with where they uh, actually started the uh, conversions for us. Uh, that was the era in Germany when they were doing the pre-Tavistock stuff. Yeah, so anyway, interesting period. But anyway, these, these, places, these things all have what you look for are patterns and junctures, right? So anyways, let me scroll up and see what I was saying here. Um... So, influenced by the Soviet Union after the rise of communism with the Russian Revolution of 1917. Yeah, rise of communism, that's when they um, actually came up with um, Stalin and all of that. That's another interesting story. But, um, yeah, that's when they introduced all this Marxism stuff during that era, 1917. And it was right before they were in Germany doing Tavistock-like stuff the early mental development stuff, and then Tavistock. So anyways, the government, which included secular communist Jews, did not force Jews to convert to the Russian Orthodox Church, but regarded the practice of any religion as undesirable. Some faiths were allowed to continue under strict supervision of the regime. Since the end of communism, Many people in former Soviet states, including descendants of Jews, have publicly taken up the faith of their ancestors again. Well, what does that sound like to you? That sounds like to me that uh, people seem to be going back to their roots, which would be being Jewish, right? Uh, but this is why we have to thinky-think for ourselves, right? Okay, the Belmonte Jews of Portugal, dating from the 12th century, maintained strong secret traditions for centuries. Yeah, see, you notice these sneaky patterns with these people, right? They change identities, they change languages, you know. But, you know, they all started off with that hospital crowd, right? We're cooking up the hospitals during the Malta time. So anyway, so um, probably what happened is the um, black nobility, 
they cooked up the Malta deal because I doubt the people in the Malta deal are anywhere close to the black nobility. And here's why, because the black nobility is a very top end group. That's where the Larry Finks of the world and Blackstone, Black Rock hang out. Hence the name Black Black Rock, Blackstone, right? Um, but underneath them, the Malta crowd. The Malta crowd, I see as a group that was sent out on behest of this group to set up the Malta thing with the hospitals and all that to get this whole thing started and then just went from there. Um, because part of that Malta group's deal is they do, um, like you'll see the Queen um, Queen Elizabeth, because she served as the king or, or the president of Malta or whatever, um, she hands out those Malta black capes with the white logo and has the ceremonies. Well, those people that get the ceremonies and get the Malta cape are people like, oh, I don't know, Nelson Mandela and stuff. The question would be, do, does he relate to the top, meaning the black nobility? Who knows? Genealogically, somebody could certainly figure this out to be very specific about which group was which. Um, but anyway, I see the black nobility as above the Malta group. And so like the black um, black nobility group says, hey, <laughs> go out and set. I mean, really, usually they want to throw out this really complicated deal, right? could be as simple as, hey, go out, you know, the black nobility is in charge, and they say these, these groups of followers of people who are on board with this um, satanic agenda, right, they say, hey, you go out and you set up all this stuff here. So, yeah, that could be as simple as how the chain of command has worked, right? Um, so, yeah, here's, here, let me just close off with, because I do, I have thought for years that there are two groups of Jews, okay? This group, the Ashkenazi Jew, and the Sephardic Jews, because the, the Sephardic Jews enter the picture through the thing in Spain. So let me tell you a little bit about that, because if I were to bet that any Jews were locked up and tortured, even though it's been proven the ovens during World War II weren't, weren't really working, but um, I would bet if any Jews were locked up, it would be the Sephardic Jews. That would be my guess. And I would bet if any Jews made it to this country, it would be the Ashkenazi Jews. So just think for yourself. I mean, we're never going to know the real numbers, but logic has to play into our thinking here, right? Do you think they would stay behind and help the others, or do you think they would already be on the boat on the way out of there while the others came into trouble? And if the others get, get you know, maybe they could say to the others, hey, we're going to send you to camps. I mentioned this, we're going to send you to this camp, and after the camp part is over, we'll send you to the Holy Land, you know, this place in Israel. Big question. Why that place? But anyway, so... Let me read this in close here. Um, so they, they allowed, but, but see, converting to Russian Orthodox, that is, you know, Catholicism is Judaism, correct? If we've been following along here. Uh, so converting from Judaism to Orthodox becomes like a sleigh of hand, is how I would see something like this. <laughs> but, I, but I'm a pretty suspicious person. Hey, maybe I should admit it. Maybe I'm crazy and paranoid. <laughs> but I think they just slipped from one religion to the next year. So they allowed some faiths to, to continue under strict supervision, the end of communism, um, including the Jews. They've publicly taken up their faith again. So it looks, sounds to me like the Jews be, acted like they become Catholics for a while, and now they're back to Judaism. And there was this other group that I was looking at called the Belmont Jews of Portugal. And they dated, because remember, the Sephardic Jews were in Spain 
around the really early times, okay? And then they all got kicked out of Spain. So that was the kickoff point for the Jews, okay? <laughs> just to try to keep this really simple because some of this stuff can get like really crazy sounding. So, yeah, so that brought all the Jews. Maybe somebody could find the Jews earlier, but that's been the point where I've been following them from, is from their first appearance in Spain during that time. So, yeah, so then um, there were the Belmont Jews of Portugal dating from the 12th century, and they maintained strong secret traditions. For, I might have already read this. I don't know, but but anyway, strong secret traditions for centuries. Always about sneaking around, isn't it? Um, a whole community survived in secrecy by maintaining a tradition of endogamous marriage and hiding all external signs of their faith. See? Other studies have we've kind of I've been looking at how many generations are they marrying, you know, within their own groups and stuff. And clearly, the number of because you know my my theory is they've been practicing and um, doing the hormone thing within their own elite group to begin with, and that's why they cooked up that chin, you know, the um, Habsburg chin story about the incest and stuff. Because part of that would be true, right? Because they were only mingling within so many generations of their own group. So I think they got into trouble with the Chen, recognized they were in trouble, and so they cooked up that, that idea to push because they always push something that's totally bizarre and unthinkable, right? Well, that's what people latch onto, and that becomes the big spin, right? So, yeah, so I believe this part about they were in the Portugal and Spain area originally, and there was a kicking off point. Um, so, yeah. That was the whole role that was really played there, and this hiding in secrecy, right? Intermarriage things with them, hiding their faith. And it went on to say that they and their practices were discovered only in the 20th century. Their rich Sephatic tradition of crypto Judaism is unique. Some now profess Orthodox Judaism, although many still may retain their centuries-old traditions. Well, seems to me, <laughs> crypto is an interesting thing, right? Because sadly, this entire crypto thing has been a giant pump and dump to get people, I mean, their stories, and I won't go on and on, go look for yourself, all the uh, pump and dumpers on YouTube were all yelling, oh, it just happened out of the blue. Well, anyways, uh didn't happen out of the blue. It, it is the part of the plan, not the bug in the system, okay? All those little creeps, you know, well, this really isn't financial advice, but by crypto, right? All pumping and dumping, and the sad result is is that they know to get out while they're getting out's good. So hence the name crypto coins, right? Always think of crypto Judaism, somebody who has been hiding amongst us all of this time. That is the part that, you know, it's really something to wrap your head around that if you think about it. Because all of this time, you know, when you, let's say that the majority of doctors have now become flipped and transgender. And I have looked. And <laughs> there are certain groups that a large part of that population is, okay. And um, anyhow, so I don't remember in recording this if I've talked yet about the Irish cops and stuff. But anyway, so, um, yeah, um I don't know, you know, we've got these huge we've got these huge pockets, so a lot of things are pretty big possibilities, right? You know, if you're doing experiments, you set up big pockets of people. 
you know, you've got the Irish pretty much control the cops and the firemen in this country. Well, oath or brotherhood, something children. There's just so much out there to all this stuff that, you know, if it makes sense, it ha it, it, it's something that has to be looked at, right? So, yeah, um, it's just interesting because you get back to um, one Jewish ritual um, to look for is the, and I'll try to grab, look for a picture of that, is the, um, they passed Spain and Portugal at one point, um, after they were known as the Cristianos Nuevos, meaning the new Christians when they slipped into a new disguise, and commonly called conversos. You'll, look for, you'll start to hear that word. That's the nice thing about learning new words is you'll start to pick up when you're looking at other things, hopefully for yourself. Spain and Portugal passed legislation restricting their rights in the mother countries and colonies. Only Christians were allowed to go to the New World. Yeah, well, that whole thing with who came here and who didn't is just, you know, up for debate, right? I would have to bet that the Ashkenazi population were the Jews who came. And, you know, probably um, something as simple as, here's another thing to think about. Maybe World War II, these supposed camps and stuff, maybe they weren't like full-on torture city, right? They were starvation places. I'm not minimizing absolutely for a second here but maybe that whole idea was to pass the Sephardic Jews through a place where they could identify them through a tattoo right I mean crazier things have happened because think about it if they were to um, want to have World War II as a way to do something about that land over in Israel right how are they going to grab it from the Palestinians? And so World War II became, well, let's recruit the Sephardic Jews to Israel too because, you know, they're going to need a staff there, right? Um, and all of us are under caste people to the Zionists in that class, right? So maybe the plan was, well, we lock up as many of the Sephardic Jews as we can, you know, pretend like they're being hauled off to concentration camps. And in many ways, they would have been concentration camps, right? And while they're there, they all get tattoos. Well, what a way to then identify who isn't part of the Ashkenazi group, right? So, yeah, I mean, these are a lot of possibilities that I can think of. Um, so they all converted and became these crypto-Jews. And, you know, as a major trick, always having to do with finances, always having to do with robbery, you know, I believe they call the money crypto coins for a purpose because it's always hiding. And really, I've always said they've been hiding in plain sight. And how much hiding in plain sight is a coin called crypto coins, which is now bankrupted, bankrupted by billions of dollars across the world. So, well, you get my message. I think that's about it for right now. I got to sign off for now. So be safe out there. Goodbye for now.
listener. My name is Archie. I'm from Nigeria. I am the producer of the show. We would like to take this time out to thank you for your continued listenership and support towards the show. However, this past couple of months, it's been increasingly difficult to produce the show. We would like to solicit for your support so as to keep the show running. Please consider any kind donation you can make, big or small. We would appreciate anything that you offer. The donation link can be found on the website. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh.